Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Chris shares his winding path from the University of Miami all the way to his current role as an investment analyst at Titan, a fast-growing fintech firm. We cover a lot in this episode, including his role in the back office at a bulge bracket investment bank, why he was trying to get out before his role even started, how he transitioned to a boutique investment bank on the West Coast, what he did when that blew up, how he was duped into taking a corp fin position that promised the world, his amazing experience working at a family office, his quarter-life crisis, and finally, his new investment analyst role at Titan. Buckle up and enjoy. All right, Chris, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Patrick, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It would be awesome if you could just start by giving the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Sure. So I went to undergrad at the University of Miami, a double major in finance and econ. Graduated in 2013. uh, And after having a role as a financial analyst, I was an investment banking analyst for a boutique oil and gas focused uh, company. This was, you know, back in 2013, 2014. And so once oil cratered, uh, deal flow dried up and I moved over and did more on the corporate finance side, helped a dual track IPO uh, sale process. And then for about three years after that, I worked for family office to really cut my teeth on the valuation side uh, and real business and company analysis. And after three years, uh, I had my you know quarter life crisis and realized I wasn't doing what I loved and what I wanted to do, which was work in the public markets. And so a uh, couple different jumps and, and crazy things that I did finally got me here to work at Titan where I'm an investment analyst now. Very cool path. So let's start all the way back at undergrad real quick. We'll take you down memory lane. Um, you, you, Miami, fun school, right? Um, yep. An amazing time. Tell me a little bit about just like, you know, the program, were you thinking finance right away? Cause you know, I know you went to a bulk bracket and you're a financial analyst. Was that like, tell me about, uh, the role you got coming out of there did you ever think like front office and then like or were you thinking like hey it's gonna be tough coming out you know no it's not a target school right um right. so tell me a little bit about that thought process what you knew kind of in undergrad and like what you knew kind of approaching junior year and senior year and stuff yeah definitely so i actually went down to miami to play baseball and so i wanted to be a sports agent so i started off you know my first year business law and i don't know maybe psychology something like that uh, but it was my freshman year internship where I first got really introduced to the stock market and just fell in love, you know, really replaced baseball as my passion. And so that's what made me change my major to a double major in finance and econ. Um, I, I knew, you know, basically starting on my junior year, that it was going to be very difficult because I wasn't at my target school. 
Uh, I luck, luckily, or, you know, through a lot of hard work, had very good grades, you know, I was at the base of the top of my class. And so, you know, the only real banking program that I recruited at Miami at the time was uh, Citi's uh, Treasury and Trade Solutions. So, you know, working capital analytics and products. That's what I ended up doing uh, my first year out of college. And so the recruiting process there was a very, very typical to your investment banking bulge bracket uh, process where, you know, you'd have your uh, junior year internship. Most of those people will get, you know, the full-time offers for, you know, upon graduation, exactly what I did uh, in my entire, <laughs> I, I wouldn't admit at the time, but my entire goal was to you know, get my foot in the door there and then transfer over to the investment bank. Uh, I wonder how much of a problem that is nowadays where kids are like, yeah, I don't mind working middle office or back office. <laughs> and they're like their whole goal is front office and they're just like leveraging the entire or networking the entire. I'm, I'm not sure how many people are actually okay with just being in the back office. You know, <laughs> it definitely wasn't my goal, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the entire time I was really kind of thinking about making that move over. And I got very fortunate to have found this, you know, the boutique investment bank that I mentioned uh, while I was at City. And let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about that first year because, <clears throat> yeah, you know, Treasury and Trade Solutions. I don't, can you explain like what you're doing for, you know, I assume, I assume you're working with sales and trading the desk there to help do what? Like, okay, working capital analytics, just explain like day to day what you were doing. Was it like really tough at first? Did you feel like um, within a few months it was easy or within a, within a few weeks it was easy? What was it like? Uh, definitely the latter. Uh, <laughs> it, it definitely was not Like that's it? That's it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm an undergrad and you know, taking, you know, financial modeling classes. And then here I am, you know, doing, I'm doing modeling and pricing models and whatnot, but nowhere near the level of analytical rigor that I was expecting. And so that was a big part of what really, you know, kicked me into high gear to want to find that, you know, next role, which was that I just was not being challenged, you know, wasn't learning fast enough, wasn't really in that high stress environment, high activity environment that I was looking for. And so, you know, what I was doing was just putting hundred percent of my effort into the job during the day. And then my entire nighttime, you know, I'd wake up at 5 a.m., work out in the morning, go to work, get out of work around 6, 6.30, and then 6.30 to 9, it was just recruiting and prep, recruiting and prep. The number of phone calls and cold emails, I, I mean, they, they're numbering the hundreds, probably into the thousands, you know, and it's, yeah, talk, I think about that. I, I think, cause I love breaking down that like after hours thing. So, you know, you're working probably 40 to 50 ish hour weeks at the day, yeah. job, not too bad. Yep. Um, you kind of get out, you get home. And you have to have energy to like, so what are you leveraging at this point? I assume LinkedIn was big enough where you're probably all over LinkedIn or no, not quite. Yeah, LinkedIn wasn't, yeah, LinkedIn was fine. Uh, well, like, was, where were you, where were you finding these contacts, even just cold email and like, what was your funnel? What did it look like? I know you said was, several thousand or something at the top, but then how did it, from where, like, where were you getting these contacts? Yeah, no, LinkedIn was definitely uh, one of those sources, if you will. A lot of it was talking to friends that were in the business and in the industry and just trying to get connected to more and more people. You know, that was definitely a big part of it. Uh, I'm trying to think back. I'm sure that Wall Street Oasis was definitely, you know, in there, uh, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't have Twitter, right? I didn't have, you know, Facebook was, you have your friend groups, but you're not using it for recruiting, right? Right. And so a lot of it, I feel like was just, if I remember correctly, it was my bootstrapping and just trying to talk to people and more friends. And then for every conversation, it would usually lead to at least another one or two people I could talk to. And so it was very much just rolling up my sleeves, doing it the hard way. 
Uh, I def I would say that I definitely worked harder, not smarter when it came to my recruiting process there. So like you knew you wanted to get an investment banking analyst. So you're like, I'm just going to do what, do what I need to do. Do you mind sharing? Like, you know, you said a couple of weeks in, you were like, wow, that's it. Once you're in the kind of back office, you're like, okay, I have to just hit these numbers, do these models. And that's basically all I do over and over and over again in the, in the back office. And that's, that's what we hear on the, on the forums as well. It's like, it gets pretty repetitive. Yeah. Um, you can move up if you're willing to kind of put your head down and get paid decent, decent wage and all that stuff, but it's, it's kind of capped. Right. So exactly. For people who are motivated, it's, you know, I think a lot of them try to find their way out. So you're getting home, you're doing this, this stuff. How, I guess, what do you target? You're targeting anybody in investment banking. Do you know investment banking is what you want? Are you talking to people in like FP&A, anything like that? Definitely not FP&A. So my, my entire goal, right, was I wanted to be at a hedge fund eventually. Okay. And so I kind of just starting at that end point, work my way backwards. And so the most logical place to start would be investment banking. Yeah. Never want to do FP&A. You know, it was always that one track mind if I want to be in the public markets. And so the, you know, if you're not, I think having that connection out of school to get to the buy side, you, you know, I think that investment banking is the right place to start. And, and, and I was right, you know, along those lines where it's you're developing that core, very fundamental analytical process and, and skill set where you're just learning how to very basically model at a company, right? And everyone that's been, you know, in investment banking knows that it's not rocket science, you know, what we do, right? Yeah. And so, uh, no, it was very much like that, that very focus of get me into banking. I don't care where it is. I want to make sure that I develop the right skill set. Like I'll, I'll move anywhere you want, evidenced by what eventually happened, right? I'll do anything it takes just to get into the business, get my foot in the door. And from there, I know I'll accelerate. Okay, so be honest. How many months into your job as city did you start looking for, start networking right away? <laughs> it started before I started. Yeah, no, it was okay. It was this was a constant, you know, even so, so like say, your junior year. So when you when you did your junior year summer there and you got the offer, you accepted, but like you were still trying to angle get more investment banking interviews, front office interviews, because I would you say Already. Yeah, I wasn't as active my senior year. I had a lot of stuff going on, uh, some certain responsibilities I had to take care of. Yeah. But as soon as that kind of died down at the very end of senior year, yeah, now I was right back to networking and recruiting, and okay, you know, definitely, definitely wouldn't say that. But it was, it was almost an impossible task, right? Because the first question is, well, hold on, you haven't even started your job yet. Like, what, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. So there was, there was kind of like a blackout period, if you will. But I'm just, I'm that kind of person where if I know what I want to get to, I'm just going to head down and just go after it. So at what point did people start kind of hearing you out a little bit more? Did you feel like there was a turning point, like after six months or something like that? It, it's, it's funny to say it was definitely after about the six month mark, because I remember it was the start of the start of the new year. After the start of the new year, uh, my first year out is when I started getting a little bit more traction, a little bit more understanding of where I was at, because at the same time, I could explain like, listen, this is my day-to-day. -day. This is what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not what I want to do. Right. And so tell me a little bit about, so you said, you know, maybe a thousand or so contacts, like how many of those turned into like call, phone calls? Oh, very few. Oh, it was- hundred yeah. total or 20 or what? Yeah, no, I would say in the hundred. I'd say in the hundred. And, and, and so the phone calls and the actual networking, uh, I would say probably about if, let's say I did a thousand, right? you know, cold emails and all that, right. I would say it was about like 20%, maybe total conversion to either a phone call or at least a response. Right. Okay. 
And then so narrowing that funnel down, I would say I got to, let's say, 15 interviews or so, maybe okay. 15 or 20 interviews, uh, ranging from- When did those start? Like, when was the first one that you hit, like, first round interview? First one that I hit was probably in February or March. This was a while ago. Yeah, I would say- So seven maybe, months in or so. Yeah, yeah. And I remember one explicitly, I was- in, I was in Vegas for March Madness with my buddies, and I took an interview with Houlihan Loki while I was in Vegas. Yep, for their tech group. The interview didn't go well. But, uh, I think we, but that's, assume, we all know why that's the case. Right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. So that's it. I really started getting that traction there. And yeah, I had about 15, 20 interviews, uh, a couple different offers. Uh, but the one that I finally landed on was at the time it was the right one for me because I was fascinated with the energy space. Yeah. And so I was all else equal. The fact that I got that opportunity with the energy related IB was, was exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Small bank, but um, West coast, yep. was a big move. But so tell me a little bit about like that whole interview process, like from the first rounds, did you get, did you make to a few super days or like out of the 15 first rounds, like one super day? It was just one. Yeah, just, just one. one. Yeah. Okay, so you had you been striking out at some of the other ones, like so the Hoonahan one you're in Vegas. I get it. Um, what about the the other? Oh, ones? oh in general. Yeah, uh, in general. yeah. No, yeah. No, it was just one. So Hoonahan didn't make it. I made it to I I would think was the the round right before Super Days for a couple of them. Yeah. But I would say the majority were thanks but no thanks. You know, and it's that lateral transfer process was very difficult. Why do you think that is? It wasn't quite hot enough. Things weren't. Cr- I know now people are just dying for any but any bodies. Like right, right, yeah. <laughs> so like that back then, it wasn't as crazy. Is do you think that's maybe why, or was there something else like with your prep? Do you feel like you were ready? You were fully ready by that. Point? No, I I think it was a combination of two things. One is to your it was your first point. It's both your points. You know, the second one is I don't feel like I did the requisite work to really be ready. You know, I. I went through the primers or I forget what they're called, you know, basically the whole technical questions that you could be asked. I went through all those, but this is the reality. Unless you're doing this on a day-to-day basis and you're really in it, you're really just memorizing answers. You, you can't really walk your way through, you know, how does, how does certain accounting line items flow through the three statements as an example? Yeah. You don't know how to build, you know, accretion dilution models you just don't know that unless you're doing it all the time and so you got to take our elite modeling course man and that, that's our, exactly our right. IB interview course i'm plugging it right now no <laughs> that's exactly no, it, it can yeah, get you closer but you're right line. it can get yeah. you closer but it, you're right it's 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 one thing to be doing it and then it's like oh this is easy um yeah another thing to be asked technical question after technical question and in a high pressure stakes like now put me in an interview and I'll do like, I'll pass with flying colors. Right. Yeah. But back then, you know, it's so funny. You don't realize how little, you know. Yeah. And and so, that's the key that people yeah. think they're doing really well, or even on the behavioral, they'll spend all their time prepping for the technical. And they're like, I got it. I got to know exactly the, all the different valuation methodologies. And they're like, why you want to be in investment banking? And the person's like, Oh, I like that. It's a high pressure situation. I learn a lot. <laughs> da, da, da. And people are like, come on, man. All the very standard answers, exactly. All the standard answers, and it's just not genuine. It doesn't and like they don't realize like having a good genuine answer to that is so much more important than like getting every single technical right and being. Yep. Right, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and and even for me now too, you know, I've I got to hire my last job uh, when I was at the family office, and 
um, in other kind of recruiting roles, you know, I've, I've had exposure there and seen it. You know, the one thing that I would look for really isn't technically, you know, anyone can learn it to my point, like once you're on the job, it comes down to hunger, I think. And if, if you can find someone that's truly hungry and will work harder than everyone else, that's what you have to look for. And those standard answers that you get out of, you know, even the qualitative section of these primers, it's not going to do it for you. You know, you want to be able to stick out in someone's mind. And so these are all lessons that I wish I knew back then, but it's good to eventually learn them. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's tough. So eventually you got, you got an offer. Was it a big pay raise or similar? I mean, it, you're going from like back office to front office, but you're going from like mega huge company to like tiny company. Yeah. That so was the base pretty similar, like 70, 80, something like that. Or 70. Yeah. So it's the base was a little bit lower, uh, yeah. but in terms of the comp, you know, it was a hundred percent of base, right. Instead of versus, you know, the back office, almost doubling, like, almost doubling. Yeah, your comp. exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, the comp was nice, but, uh, and, and helpful and exciting, but really it came down to finally being in the industry, you know, and after all those hours, it's, it's a pretty rewarding thing. And so speaking of hours, when you did join, um, first off with, was it tough saying goodbye to your back office job? Not not the actual saying goodbye to the job, but just like the people, were they upset when you said I'm leaving after a year? <laughs> I know you I, were probably happy to leave, but just tell me. I, I, got, I got a few choice responses from, especially, you know, the people on like the HR side that did all the recruiting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I would also say that I doubt that it caught many people to my surprise. Okay. I'm sure the writing was on the wall there. Yeah. Um, so were you... Um, so you, did you have any break between starting or like, did you move right out to the West Coast and boom immediately? Oh, I, I'm not someone that can take a break. I went right out and I just started going. Yep. Okay. And so what were the hours like at this boutique bank? Wow. Uh, a lot. <laughs> that's, that's what I can remember was like 80, like over 80. Oh yeah. No, I would say so. Yeah. Um, so you were getting worked pretty hard. Um, you know, one of the risks of joining a small boutique bank, it can be huge fluctuations in deal flow. Sometimes you're pitching all the time and then other times you're drowning in live deals. Oh what yeah. The, what was it the case for you guys? I mean, June, 2014, you're in an oil and gas type boutique. What happened? Yeah. So when I first started, I mean, our backlog of deal flow was insane. I mean, I was, I was cranking out just models and, and just debts all the time. Uh, I would say around probably around six month mark after that, is when things started dying down on the deal flow side and we started pitching more. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just saw this, this cadence of pitches really pick up around then, mm -hmm. but the cadence of actual um, execution of pitching and getting the deal and the number of pitches in general really started dying down. And it was, I would say a pretty direct correlation between that and the oil price. Yeah. Uh, because you know when I joined, oil was essentially at its peak. And about nine months in, whenever it was, oil was down to about 30 bucks a barrel. I forget whatever it was. Yeah. And so everyone freaked out. All deal flow stopped. And that's what kind of led to me eventually, you know, moving over to the second, the third role that I talked about. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like MD pulling you out or partner pulling in the office saying, hey, there's not, you know, not a lot of deal flow here. You're going to find another job. Were you okay with that? Like, did they give you any head? They give you enough time to, to find something or what was yeah that? it was it was more of like you know we're not kicking you out but if you want to if you want to find something then like we understand right yeah, yeah, yeah. um so you know, there was plenty of time and you know when it eventually happened uh yeah what i'll say this too another mistake that i think i made is not waiting for the right thing 
I think that maybe I was feeling the stress of the broader market, what was happening there. Yeah. I didn't wait till the right role that I wanted to find, but the role that I did find was somewhat aligned with what I wanted to do. So I just made the jump right away. But yeah, they were, they were perfectly fine with it. They were great guys. So I was very fortunate there. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you're, you're going to a corporate finance role, you know, given that you want to be hedge fund eventually, you're like, you know, in the investment space, why not go to another bank? Another yeah, detracted there, right? Um, that, that was the pressure part of it. Yeah. I was, I was definitely worried about being able to make that jump. Because once again, like this was something that I dealt with a few times is like, listen, I'm just out of college. I don't want to get that you know, reputation of jumping around. Yeah. And while this was a little bit more circumstantial. Yeah. It still looks it, bad on it your end. It still end. looks exactly right. Yeah. Cause you, had, so, you had left after one year, you were hoping at least do a couple of years, probably at this. Yep. I want to do at least two. And then suddenly it's less than a year. You're at another place and you're stuck. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so at this, at the second place, you know, it, my so tell, yeah, tell the listeners a little bit like, well, was it a corporate manager of corporate finance senior but like, what does that mean? Like, what were you doing day to day? That seems yeah. very different from banking. It's almost, my story is almost too crazy to be believable. So I joined this oil and gas investment bank in June, 2014 at peak oil yep. and oil just goes from there down to 30 bucks. Yep. Right. So then I leave, leave a bad, leave, well, join a good situation, leave a bad one. I then joined this other apparently great situation. So the situation I joined and I'll leave the company name out of it. Um, mm -hmm. But the plan was it was owned by two private equity firms, two major private equity firms, and they were looking for an exit. And this is why I joined it. I actually had a buddy pull me in who was actually at Jeffries, went over there. Um, and I was, him and I were going to be the two guys leading either a dual track IPO yeah. or, you know, a strategic sale off to another uh, company, whether it be an actual strategic or another sponsor. And so that's why I joined I was going to get some great like actual IPO or just, uh, you know, M&A experience. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, it wasn't along the public market side, but I'm like, okay, like this, this will work, right? Well, it'll go great with what I've been learning in, in banking. It'll be kind of a good, you know, addition to my resume. You were tricked. I joined, I, so I, <laughs> I think everyone, I think everybody was tricked. I joined and I, I can remember the dates exactly. March 30th, 2015, I joined. That day, they had released their February earnings. The company went from a $2 million EBITDA run rate company on a monthly basis to a $2 million loss in the previous month. Yep, that, that Thursday, the CFO got fired and it kickstarted a entire restructuring. So instead of leading this you know, growth story, I was leading a restructuring, mm -hmm. which you, know, you look back on events and at the time I was pissed, I was miserable. <laughs> But you look back on it, what I tell people is, you know, when things are good, and you can relate it to the recent stock market. When things are good, you can get very lazy. You can get away with bad habits mm. and still do very well. Yeah. But when things are hitting the fan, that's when you really have to be buttoned up yeah. and you have to learn and you have to know what you're talking about. And so that's what it really forced me to do. And so well, in why my not, role, like you, you just joined there. Why not just try to lateral to another bank and just explain the situation? Be like, look, I started at this place. We were supposed to go do this. I still want to stay in banking. They were, I thought I was going to get this type of experience. Like, isn't that a believable story? Or you felt like, oh man, this is just gonna. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't think it was even a possibility. I didn't even try. I didn't. Really? I didn't even think about it. Yeah, and maybe that was the wrong decision. You know, because like you know the way I see about it, like you probably had like a, at least a two or three month window there where you could join another bank and then you know 
maybe put an extra month on your LinkedIn on each side, right, right, right. like, like get away with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about it. Cause, cause what was in my head, it was like three jobs one year. I'm still like, what, right. nine I would have been like, shit, then... I got to get out and find that third job. This never happened. Like this job yeah. never happened. <laughs> right. 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 Just like quit and leave. Right. <laughs> yeah. Quickly. Well, yeah. You don't want to quit without the other thing lined up. So I exactly. So I was in a very impossible situation, if you will, but I'll say that, you know, it worked out for the better. Right. So I got to work directly with the executive team, the CEO and the COO uh, every day, along with the board. Yeah. So got to be around some of the smartest people I've worked with. Yeah. Uh, you know, every day for about a year and a half and learning how, and so what the restructuring did is it made me really understand how a company operates inside and out. I mean, I saw the actual guts infrastructure, everything. Yeah. And so while it wasn't why I joined what I wanted to do long run, it was so immensely beneficial for me and my understanding of how companies operate. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know did that for about a year and a half and the whole, it was all centered around one is creating a restructuring plan. Mm-hmm. And then two, a lot of my time has been modeling it all out. And the modeling side, I mean, the level of detail that I went into, I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of line operating models with, you know, K, uh, with uh, FTI level. Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, I did Product everything. level SKUs everything. and everything and like crazy. Product level SKUs. I was at FTE level, like people buy, buy role, everything. Yeah. Uh, and so the level of modeling experience i got the actual you know experience of understanding that's how crazy for a company function. for only two million ebitda run rate month oh i guess monthly run rate it's pretty good yeah monthly, yeah <laughs> yeah i know these yep, yep for a second i was like annual run rate why are you going that crazy like you know yeah no <laughs> <laughs> these guys were i think when i joined it was like about a 350 million dollar valuation so not big not huge yeah, yeah, yeah but but sizable yeah okay so you're you're kind of you're there for a year and a half when are you kind of starting to look for your next move and what are you thinking in terms of okay, should I go back to banking? What should I do? And um, it looks like you wanted to get back to the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, definitely want to get back to the East Coast. Any reason for that? And like, when did you start looking? Like once the restructuring plan was done or what What happened? Yep, so it was once the restructuring plan was done, which so between the time I started looking and I actually got the job, it was quick. I mean, it may have been a month, maybe two. Okay. So I didn't spend a lot of time um, afterwards looking. The reason why I wanted to get back to the East Coast was twofold. One is my family's back there. Uh-huh. Uh, and then two, it's, you know, I always wanted to be in New York. And as great as LA was, it wasn't, it did not align with my personality yeah. <laughs> at all. And uh, yeah, I wanted to be able to experience that really fast paced New York lifestyle. And so that kind of was the genesis of me looking back East. Okay, and tell me about um, your interviews. What, what types of firm were you, firms were you interviewing with? Um, what were they? What did they like in your background? What were they? You know, what were the tough questions? Yeah, it was, and it was mostly PE. And so this is, I think, where I maybe didn't think about the long term goal again, and it was more thinking about what my experience aligns with, which was more on the PE side. Yeah. And so yeah, it was all it was all family offices uh, and private equity firms that I was talking to. Uh, a few different opportunities there, but I was pushed. And the reason why this happened so quickly is I was really pushed towards this family office I ended up joining. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a had a friend that essentially knew the partner. And the way that it was described to me was if you truly want to be able to value and understand a business better than anybody, you go work with those guys. And so for me, I, I've always thought about being, you know, my younger age, you know, learning was more important than 
the monetary upside is the ladder would come yeah. uh, if, if you learn the ropes fast enough. And so I got connected to that company. And after going through, got a couple, couple rounds of interviews with them, they flew me out and really just dug into my experience at the firm that I was already at because it was healthcare related. It was very deep, deep, deep operating model um, work that I was doing. And so that's, that's what pushed me over the top was my level of experience with really understanding companies and modeling them out the level of granularity that I did. And so they, lo they love that, but what, what made you comfortable with them? Why not go to another family office or another, like, you know, well, I guess PE might've been a stretch at that point. Right. But like, yeah, why not another family office, for example? Yeah. The reason for them was one, I really trusted that, that friend that I knew um, yeah. who had actually, I felt uh, like your other friends is, yeah. Down the river, like that. Yeah, yeah, they did. You know, I, should, I need to find new friends. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he had interned there. Okay. Um, and so he knew exactly how they operated. He was in banking. He was in private equity at the time. Yeah. And so he was like, listen, the way that these guys uh, go about analyzing companies versus the way we do, it's night and day. Like they're, they're better. Yeah. So like that, that's what gave me the comfort. Uh, and, you know, the company itself had grown pretty dramatically over, I would think when I joined, it was 20, oh, they, it was about a three, three years. They had grown really dramatically. Um, and how, many investment, how many investment professionals like were there? Or? The core team was seven. Uh -huh. uh, and then you had the partner and you had a whole like support staff and everything. Do you have, uh, are, you, are you allowed to say how much money you guys were managing or was it like blank check, whatever you guys could spend basically it was it wasn't a blank check but it was probably as close as you can get to it um, or something yeah it, it was it was it was sizable what types know? of uh, so your work was it specifically it looks like you were doing portfolio management but you were also looking at new potential deals was it all equity lbos debt side what was it what types of deals it was more on the lbo side um, okay. and and so it was i say lbos because they were highly levered deals but they're highly levered because we were able to put mortgages on, on the deals instead of, yeah. So we were, we were buying both the operating and the property, you know, entities of these, yeah. of these buildings. So yeah, we, uh, we had a core portfolio of when I joined, I think it was around 30, 30 or so assets. Wow. And uh, by the time that I left, we were pressing against 60. So the You're company good. still, Oh, we were very busy. And so if you think about the two different functions as well, you know, the portfolio management side's mo more on the monthly updates, but given where and the whole strategy around the acquisitions, a big part of it was really turning around operations. And then when you layer on the complexity of healthcare, that just makes it that much more difficult. Uh, and then also the regulatory environment. So, so were you guys buying distressed stuff here? Not necessarily distressed. Some of them were. Some of them were. Okay. So you, you, so you mentioned turnaround. So like some of it was distress, opportunistic, um, buying the underlying real estate allows you not to put the business out of business. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the right, you're paying rent to yourself. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's from one block to the other. Uh, when I say turning around too, it's some were distressed, definitely. Yep. But the other part of it was, you know, you talk of a, a very typical uh, consolidation uh, strategy for a for an industry, so it was very fragmented, owned yeah. by a lot of mom and pops that did not know how to efficiently run the business. And so when you layer on a few things, one is just expertise on how to run the actual individual facility, or even we acquired a few portfolios, 
even the group of portfolios itself. One, you can operate those better, but then two, you layer on all of the you know GNA synergies that you have there. Yeah, were these uh, were these medical practices? What was the? Or they were. It was all seniors' house. So okay. So everything from skilled nursing, assisted living, independent living, but that also is very interesting because it was also uh, horizontally integrated, where we had development companies, we had transportation, pharmacies, you name it. Oh, interesting. So it was it was across the board. Yep. Good space to be in, right? Um, a lot of them out there. Yeah. So, a lot okay. of old people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the population is just aging, right? So okay, That's so. Right. You then have what you called your quarter life crisis, or you know, your your couple oh, yeah. years in, your couple years in doing what it sounds like great work, getting promoted. Yeah, but they're liking what you're doing. Um, How is the pay at this uh, family office? I know it's totally all over the board. Um, was it similar to your investment banking analyst stint or your corp fin stint? I mean, I assume. Well, let's go back to banking. Banking, you were doing yep. about one forty, whatever it is, hundred forty thousand, hundred fifty thousand, all yep. in. Um, was the jump to corporate finance manager? I assume there was a pay cut. Uh, it was roughly the same. Higher base, more, like 120 yes, base or something. Exactly. Exactly. It was okay. higher base, but roughly the same. Yeah. And then uh, jumping. So you're kind of like, you took a big jump from the back office up to banking. Then you got like more base. This is the place, but you're still about the same. And then you jumped yeah. to family office. Do you mind sharing range? Like it doesn't have to be exact, but like where, what the progression was around. Was it similar yeah. like 130 to 150 and then? Yep. It was, it was a step up from the corporate finance role, but the yeah, same but not, like structure. But not huge. Not yeah, huge. exactly. Exactly. And no, there's no like carry because this is all family money, right? Correct. So, um, Correct. so are there, are the bonuses pretty good there? Were they, I just like to ask because of the user, the listeners like to listen to like family office. So like it's all over the place. So how right. You- no, it really is. It really is all over the place. So the way that we were compensated and it was a little bit different, it would range between like, 20% to 30% of base. Okay. Basically. Great. And so that was like when you started, you got promoted and then the base salaries were, I assume, jumping like 10 to 15K, yeah. 20K. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes more, you know, I got promoted twice there. And the yeah. first one was a good bump. The okay. second one was a very good bump. Okay. You mind sharing what that yeah, was? The, were you hitting 200 at base or no? 180 base? No. Year? Yeah. I was getting, I was getting close. Yeah. I was getting close. Um, okay. And it, but you know, what I liked about this place was that it was very much a meritocracy, you know, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the interviews is, you know, you don't know how much you don't know until, until you find out very directly. And when I joined from the, you know, corporate finance role, I, I thought I was this hot shot. You know, I just, I just love the restructuring, right? And then my buddy actually led me down the right path this time because the level of analytical rigor that I was taught, but yet did not know how to do when I first started. Uh, it was very apparent to me and my boss, you know, at the time. And so after that first year, I was getting up to speed, but not there yet. Once I had that second year, I was really accelerating. And so that's yeah. why the bump was bigger. Very cool. So why leave? Yeah, that was. <laughs> You're going to concede, you know, was there a chance to get promoted? Or do you feel like it was kind of, you were going to be doing the same thing? Do you yeah, feel like I, there was like less deal flow. Oh, what, what, why, why jump? No, no, very deal flow was nonstop. And what was amazing is that we never had to go out and source. It was always inbound. Wow, uh, really impressive. No, I mean the company itself was, like I said, amazing experience. Uh, I'm very, very fortunate to have had it uh, because it was really the foundation of my real modeling skill set and, and ability to analyze companies. 
but yeah, no, left because of that quarter life crisis where it was, you know, I'm 20, like 25, 26 at the time. And uh, it was just thinking about, you know, why, why am I not doing what I love and what I want to do? And, and the answer isn't an appropriate answer, which is that it's hard, right? It's hard to break into the buy side. It's hard to break into a hedge fund. And I just don't, I don't buy that. And so uh, the reason why I left was because I wanted to pursue exactly what my, my passions was because, you know, whenever I would be working at the family office, I was, it was good. I was, I was happy, but there's a lot in private equity, which was, you know, very much what we were doing um, that is not investing related. I was combing through credit agreements. I was, you know, putting together all like the actual like qualitative deal side of things, which is helpful. It's good to know, uh, but not what I love, not what makes me happy. And so then I compare that to, you know, off hours when I'm, doing my own, you know, public market analysis on companies for my own investing portfolio and how much happier I was then, you know, to me, it was a no brainer that I had to make a move and, and do it as fast as I could. Very cool. So what did that culminate in? So you, were you looking for jobs? Were you interviewing for jobs in the, uh, in the hedge fund space, the buy side space, or as a man, long only, like, did you do like doing long shorts? What were you trading in the after hours? Tell me like what, what was this passion of yours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, some of it was naivete, right? Uh, but I yep. was I was much more focused, I think, on the long only side. This really wasn't because I had never done shorting in my own experience. You know, didn't get a lot of the really big, um, you know, sales and trading type of exposure from a bulge bracket. So was a little bit naive to that side of the business, uh, yep. even though, you know, you follow the headlines, you hear about all of it. But so I was thinking more long only. And so when I had left uh, the firm, the family office, and I was just doing a lot of, uh, a lot of consulting based work, uh, which was focused on valuation, on doing work like that for long only um, focused uh, investors. That's kind of where I felt like my niche was. Uh, and where I really specialized in. So you uh, left you left the firm without having anything lined up, just starting to do consultancy on the side, part-time work, just saying, hey, I need to figure out what I want to do here. You just yeah, left. and I, I had consulting gigs lined up. But how did you have that conversation? You're just, they're like, where are you going? You're like, I'm just going to do my own thing? It was a difficult one. Yeah, it was a very difficult they're one. They're like, what so, are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and, I, and so I had, you know, I had a consulting gig lined up to help of friend build up his own private equity, you know, fund. I had some other things lined up for valuation-based work. And so when, when that was the answer, I got a very, very tough response from that. It wasn't, they were not happy. Like, okay, and then what? Yeah, yeah, then the question was, then what? And so when then what was, you know, I'm gonna find a job at a public market shop. It was basically like a good luck out there. <laughs> but you know you gotta you gotta bet on yourself a lot of time because no one else is gonna do it for you so tell and me how you did this so you, you launched your own fund eventually or what were how would we describe um your capital management you know founder experience your two years of, yeah in the it was, it shark was infested water by yourself or whatever oh tell my me god tell me what it was like because right uh, you know you hear this uh, even from undergrads you're like i'm starting my own fund or i'm going to do this tell me what it was like what what you went through yeah. So I'll start by answering the direct question first. It was a research and a valuation based consulting yeah. uh, firm, essentially. It wasn't, I wasn't managing. It wasn't a hedge fund. Capital. You are managing money. No, no. And so the reason for that is this, you know, I'm, I was very fortunate to come up with a steep learning curve from not knowing anything when I joined the family office to actually being very aware of the space. 
And so you come to understand very quickly the probabilities of succeeding for you know emerging managers. And the reality is, is you know, if you're not starting with call it 50, $100 million at least, especially in this day and age, the odds of you actually being able to sustain uh, a fund is very small. And that lifestyle is brutal. I mean, very, very brutal. So I knew that I was not ready to start a fund, especially with, you know, how are you going to go out and fundraise? You know, what, what's that story going to look like? You know, how am yeah. I getting money from an allocator? It's not going to happen, right? And so my, my goal, my plan was to build up some sort of, you know, basis and uh, experience and a portfolio of research and ideas that I've done and, and some, some of a track record, if you will, of those recommendations that would just easily translate over to a hedge fund space. And so that's, that was kind of the, the idea behind what I was doing. I didn't see COVID coming, which was, you know, lack of foresight. Um, but yeah, no, there was, I wasn't managing a fund, just my family and friends money, um, which was, which made it, which was great from the perspective of, I didn't have that, you know, pressure of, of real outside capital, yeah. but also gave me the opportunity to develop a, you know, that PM lens, because there's a big difference between the analyst and PM. And, and having that type of experience. So that gave me that experience was, I was fortunate to get. And so I started that, um, yeah, it was sometime in like, I think it was mid to late 2019. And uh, I thought, you know, I can do this for a little bit. I wanted to travel a little bit and, and get that bug out of, out of the way. Um, and then COVID hit. And so instead of, and around when COVID hit was when I had started really recruiting. You know, I had a couple of calls and meetings with, uh, some very, I would say, big name hedge funds, some that got bigger names in the headlines because of things that happened, uh, you know, this year and last year. GameStop, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> I, I started that process in about February. Uh, and I remember, I remember I had a few things lined up in March that were supposed to happen. And March 13th rolls around. COVID was really starting to get bad. And everything stopped. People just went off the grid. And so for, you know, the next nine months or so, I basically put everything on hold. Uh, and so I was very much just scrapping. And as you can imagine, if everyone's not hiring, getting like consulting uh, gigs was that much harder. Yeah. And so, you know, my own workflow really died down. And you still had rent in New York to pay? Uh, for a while, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, my savings account was not uh, was was not flush after that. Your rainy day fund was uh, again. That's used. right. It was gone. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about kind of how you progress and how you started as things started opening up. Kind of where you started interviewing. It looks like you started interviewing maybe at some startups and you know fintech. How did you end up at Titan? And just yeah, tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. So. I put on the the networking blitz, I would say, in June of 2020 or so, mm -hmm. and uh, really took a so my approach there. All right, it was a little bit later actually. Sorry, June 2020 is when I really started getting involved on Twitter, and Twitter is actually a big part of my story. Uh, cool. Yeah, enough. tell me, it's interesting. Yeah, so I I never I was never big into social media, not a big Instagram guy, Facebook, etc. I'm gonna pull you uh, up right now while we're talking. But keep please talking. do, please do. I have, I have a very <laughs> I have a very good friend uh, who now has a almost 300,000 followers on Twitter, uh, but the time, you know, tiny. And he recommended to me that I start just posting some of my ideas. You know, I was doing all this work for, you know, evaluation, consulting and research. Mm -hmm. Start posting ideas on, on Twitter, on Fintuit and see, and see what happens. 
started doing that in like the June timeframe and all of a sudden just started developing a pretty sizable following, I would say. Uh, that then evolved into me starting a newsletter where I was expressing those same ideas, just longer form. Yeah. And, you know, that all really, I would say, snowballed into now, you know, I have, I think, I don't know, 34, 35,000 followers on Twitter, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And so um, along this same, you know, route of be wanting to go to the public markets, I was like, listen, I got to take my CFA if I'm going to be doing this too. And so my um, CFA got pushed back, obviously, from June 2020, got pushed back again to like December and pushed back again. I think I took it in February of this year, so past level one. And as soon as level one was done, that's when I really just went all out on, mm-hmm. on networking and whatnot. And so I probably, one of the biggest benefits of Twitter was my network that I was able to develop. You know, I've met and been able to talk to so many amazing investors, and hedge fund managers, and people that I just really, really respect. Um, you know, I had alumni from my high school really help out. And so I probably spoke to not as many people as when I was trying to find banking. It was definitely a lesser number, but the quality of those interactions was significantly greater. And so uh, I would say in February is when I started just talking to some funds, nothing that was meaningful, just like, hey, like if we are ready to hire, we'll contact you. Right. right? And so, you know, I, if you're trying the same thing over and over again and not making any sort of headway, like you're crazy for discontinuing that same process. And so I wasn't applying to jobs on LinkedIn or I wasn't applying jobs through any sort of mechanism like that because my thought process there was like, I don't have a traditional two and two background, right? I have this crazy weird background. I was in banking at a boutique. I did some weird yeah. corporate finance role. And then I was at some random family office. Like who's going to just hire me like from a traditional shop? And my thought process will like nobody. And so I was really just trying to network my way in. And then one day I was like, listen, it's not going to hurt if I just throw out some you know, applications here and there. So on Twitter, the very first day I'm trying to do this, I'm on Twitter, found a few hedge funds that were kind of hiring. Um, and then Titan was a role that was just up there as an equity analyst. And so uh, checked out the company, checked out the role description. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. You know, not even close. And so I I sent an application and, you know, that very day uh, I was writing a thank you or just a follow-up email to the CIO. Like, hey, check out the company. I just applied. Very interested. Would love to have a conversation. While I'm typing up this note on LinkedIn, I get an email from him thinking it was just, you know, this very generic, thanks for applying. You know, we'll be in touch if, you know, we think you're worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, Instead it was, hey, so I just applied. I've been following you on Twitter for quite some time now. Huge fan of your work. Would love to have a conversation. And so I'm like, holy crap, this whole Twitter thing actually paid off. A it actually later. worked. <laughs> <laughs> That's really so, cool. So yeah, but you know that it definitely was nowhere near enough to get me the job. You know, I went through a really, they put me through a very rigorous uh, interview process. I had a very large case study to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and went through quite a long process with these guys, but was fortunate enough to make my way through. And uh, yeah, eventually got the job at Titan. That's awesome, man. So yeah, tell me a little bit about like your day-to-day there, how it's maybe similar or different from other kind of typical hedge fund jobs from what you know. And then, um, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of, well, first off, you can maybe tell people a little bit about what Titan does and the whole Yeah, whole spiel. So I'll start with what Titan does. Uh, they're very quick kind of description is that Titan is a hedge fund, but for retail, you know, that's probably the best way to describe it. And 
And the mission is really to, you know, compound our generation's wealth. So many people don't know what to do with their money. And so instead of, you know, putting it into GameStop or, you know, YOLOing through Robinhood, it's, you know, you can give it to professionals and have a great experience where you're investing money. You don't have to worry about it too much, but we also, we're constantly communicating with you and trying to help you understand the investing side of things and the power of compounding. And so that's a very quick, high level what Titan is. Founded in 2018, uh, we now have three different strategies, uh, two of which we've launched in the past year, essentially. Uh, one is a large cap domestic book. You know, you can think about your very high quality compounders, ServiceNow, uh, Facebook, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, Apple, Microsoft. Then we have a small mid cap book, uh, which is we call Opportunities, which is just like we say, it's you know, we are looking for compounders as well, but we will be very opportunistic looking for uh, what we think is highly asymmetric risk reward opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then we have a international offshore fund, which is somewhat of a combination of the two, but I would say just more of the large cap domestic, but offshore. Uh, we also just recently launched a Bitcoin strategy, which has been doing incredibly well. And so that's, uh, you know, what Titan is now. Uh, you know, we have an application, everything. It's mostly a mobile-based uh, product. Uh, but, you know, my, my I guess, day-to-day -day is, you know, we have a team of four equity analysts, and then we have our crypto analyst slash PM, and we have our CIO, uh, who's also the co-CEO of the company. And so my, the way we've broken up the coverage universe is mostly by uh, industry group, if you will, or type. So, you know, I cover a lot of the software names, semiconductors, uh, mm -hmm. but also anything more broadly TMT. Um, it can be an internet name, consumer, et cetera. But we have an analyst that really specializes in those two. We're generalists at heart. You know, we can, you know, cover any sort of name, any industry. Are you allowed to share uh, how, how many assets under management that you guys have or anything like that? Um, or not no. sure if I can, I'm not sure if I can share that. Um, that's fine. That's fine. And are you, um, can you tell me approximately like how big the team is? How, what's the, what's the prospects you guys have? I think you have funding, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell me yep. a little bit about that. I mean, I think that's public information, but yeah, yep. we just, we just raised our series B led by Andreessen Horowitz. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was back in, it was right after I joined. So around July timeframe, mm -hmm. um, so well-funded. Uh, with uh, and the way that the entire team is structured. So the investment management team is, you know, the CIO. Uh, and then we have the four of us analysts. Yep. And, you know, the Bitcoin analysts as well. So that's five, I guess, total. Yeah. Uh, then we have IR. We've just hired a uh, someone to really run like data analytics, really around like our factor exposures and, and things like that. Uh, attribution analysis, if you will. Uh, we have investor relations. We have a really a broad group there on the core investment management team. But we also have a content team who does a lot of the editorial, you know, sending out comms to uh, clients all the time, you know, yeah. focusing on social media, et cetera. We have a massive engineering team who's really doing all like the back end work of the product and whatnot. So very a wide range and client experience, et cetera. So very wide ranging uh, company that's grown from, I think it was eight people last year to now, 45 or so, uh, so growing very quickly. And so, yeah, the core investment management team, though, is very small and tight-knit. Yeah. But I think it's, it's appropriate because our our equity strategies, we run a relatively concentrated portfolios, 15 to 25 names each. And so I would say that my core coverage is about 15 names of names that we own. And so the way that it's worked, you know, up until now, and, you know, we're heading into my second earnings with the company is that, 
it's been a lot of time spent ramping on our names and really making sure that we understand the 80-20s, right? This Pareto principle, what is the, what's the core argument? What's the bull and bear thesis? What's our risk here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, my other time is spent generating ideas and, and doing pitching. And, you know, a lot of the time too, I'm, I'm talking to friends that have, you know, gotten at hedge funds, talking to see what they, what they're seeing, what opportunities they're looking at, um, things like that, you know? And so I would say it's nothing that's any different from any other hedge fund analyst that's at a, at a long only, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can do a lot of hedging and whatnot, but it's not like a pod where we're very active and nimble. We're, we're trying to be more long-term oriented, but we will still, you know, we'll trim names or here and there if we think the risk is just not in our favor heading into earnings. You know, we'll add names if we think that there's highly. I was, I was trimming Facebook. I've been doing my little victory lap around trimming Facebook before they crashed because <laughs> I could see all the uh, e-commerce. Uh, I'm in the e-commerce communities. I could see them all freaking out from the Apple thing. Like, I can't track anything. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I can't track anything, right? <laughs> yeah, no. What just... am I spending my money on? And same with us. Like we we spend on Facebook and AdWords, and like ad budgets were shifting to Google. So I yeah, took, I took. took it's really interesting, you know. Everyone was giving Facebook a hard time over the past couple quarters for talking about the IDFA headwinds, but everything everyone else was like, "It'll be fine." And then now everyone's like, "It's not fine." <laughs> not fine. I think there's a reason they were taking out full page ads, trying to fight it or whatever. Yeah. And you know, I've, I can't really comment on the space too much, but um, there are definitely going to be some beneficiaries of this that are not uh, specifically performance-based, uh, you know, marketing advertisers. So interesting. Um, it's very interesting. Yep. And maybe offline we can talk. Cause I, I manage a help manage a portfolio as well um, for some of our subscribers too. So it's yeah. interesting. Uh, yep. Not not uh, not uh, not actually managing a portfolio, but like uh, almost like they can track it. Um, Got it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this is really really interesting. I'd love to for you. Any other like just looking back at your career, any other final words of wisdom before um, before calling it? Yeah, I would say the the biggest thing first and foremost. It's so easy. It's much easier said than done. But the biggest lesson that I learned is if you know what you want to do just go after it and don't take no for an answer until you get there, you know, and, and the application to me, and of course, hindsight's 2020, but, you know, instead of taking that city job, you know, knowing what I want to do, just waiting and holding out until I got what I wanted. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. Know what you want, create a plan to get there, work backwards if you have to, but just never take no for an answer and just go yeah. after it. I mean, I think it's tough because like in your, your case, like that's, you mentioned senior year, you were pretty busy. So it's not like you had necessarily the option. Yeah, do that. So it's kind of like, yes, but sometimes even if it's delayed or, or late, you can still make you make your way there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think so. And I think that, listen, to, you have to have priorities in life. And so, yes, I was busy, but would would it have been a higher priority getting to like a belt bulge bracket bank? Probably. You yeah, know, and so back, yeah, you're like all the pain it caused you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But what I would say is that everything happens for a reason. Everyone has their own path. Embrace yeah. that and, you know, make Make every opportunity a learning opportunity because that compounds over time. Love it. Love it. We'll end on that. Thanks so much, Chris. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.